Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Uh, I am Jim Nichols. Uh, Jill and I, my wife Jill right here, we were here a few months ago, maybe six months ago. We got to meet many of you, but there may be some here today that we didn't get that chance to do. Uh, Formerly, I pastored for 19 years, Lamont Calvary Church, just up the road a few miles, and uh, retired about four years ago, but I've managed to stay busy. I do a little speaking here and there and, and various other kinds of ministry for which I'm really, really grateful. And I've, hap- and I've been good friends with Pastor Brian for many, many years. We meet for coffee every now and then. And uh, we're really happy to be here. And, you know, I'm very grateful that each one of you are here this morning. I believe uh, so profoundly in the will of God that I believe that before the creation of the world, God saw this moment. He foresees everything, doesn't he? So I would say that makes this moment really, really, really important because God is in this moment with us today. He's here to touch our hearts. He's here to speak to us today. And, uh, and I want to thank you also for being faithful to do the mission of Jesus in your neck of the woods, in your community. There's never been... It's never been so important for our society that the message and the mission of Jesus be infiltrating and touching people's lives. So I'm going to get right into the scripture this morning. Uh, Pastor Brian shared with me that you are in the series. It gets, it'll be better though. I like that title and I think the message this morning is going to tie right into that really, really well because we're going to focus on the word happiness today which is the theme of the very first psalm. So if you have your Bible or your phone, the verses are going to be on the screen, but you might want to take a look at the very first psalm. And most of you probably know that psalm is the Hebrew word for song. But the thing that makes the book of psalms so unlike any other songbook written in the history of the world is that these are the songs of the Holy Spirit. They are his compositions. There are 150 of his songs, the largest of the books in the Bible. And so I would say that tells us a little bit about the Holy Spirit. He's very artistic. He is a a songwriter. He loves music. He loves it when people sing. And you guys have been singing here this morning. That's the language of the Holy Spirit. Largest book of the Bible. And you know, this first psalm significantly is all, we're going to see that it's all about the rest of the scripture, which he is also the author of. We're going to learn that this morning. And uh, that what the Holy Spirit wants us to see in this first psalm is that he inspired all 66 books of this Bible. Now, 
different genres in writing all through the Bible. There's history, there's prose, there's poetry, there's narrative, there are parables. Holy Spirit engaged various human beings over about 1,500 years, from Moses all the way up through the New Testament. Holy Spirit engaged human writers in such a way that he guided them in the very words that they selected from their own vocabularies. That's why we have different writing styles in the Bible. The Holy Spirit was using them, but the end product was this, that every single word that went on to the animal skins they might have been using way back, or the papyrus, every word that went on to that is the, word, the words of the Holy Spirit. So that is what this book is, words of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's read Psalm 1 together, and then we'll, we'll break it down. Blessed or happy, the two words are interchangeable in the Hebrew. I'm using the word happy today. Happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed and happy is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word of God, who meditates day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. This person, whatever those persons who dwell in the Word, they, whatever they do will prosper. Contrast, not so for the wicked. They are like chaff. That's the outer shell surrounding a kernel of grain. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in that final assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, if you were to ask people on the street, what do you most want from life? I think perhaps the predominant answer you would get was, would be this. We just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And you know, the writers of our Declaration of Independence, they, they agreed with that. In fact, that line in our Declaration, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. And I'm glad that line's there because we have an insatiable desire, all of us, to be happy. And the Holy Spirit is addressing this insatiable desire this morning. And so he guided these human writers to put as much force into that opening word in Psalm 1 as the Hebrew language will allow. And so there's two things about this first word that we should take note of. First of all, it is the very first word. And in the Hebrew language, that makes it an exclamatory term. And when you exclaim about something... That, that's, you're, you're really communicating the power, what you feel about that word. And so the Holy Spirit, is ex, he's exclaiming, happy. And then it's also not in the singular. It's in the plural. That's sort of unusual. But what, what does it mean here? He's talking about happiness upon happiness. It's, it's the plural, happinesses, blessings, unending happiness, happiness that will never be exhausted, that's what this psalm is trying to direct human beings to see and to experience. Now, that raises a question. How can that kind of happiness possibly be realistic in a world like this 
that is filled with calamity and suffering. Well, one thing we know is this. The Holy Spirit is not calling us to some sort of fake, shallow, pretended kind of happiness that denies sorrow, that doesn't face the realities of this harsh world. Quite the opposite. Half of the songs that the Holy Spirit composed in the book of Psalms are called laments. And if you read those psalms, those are, being, those are prayers that are being offered to God where the person is pouring out every sorrow, their calamity, the way their lives seem to be falling apart, the situations around them. So the Holy Spirit is not pushing some sort of fantasy. And the Christian life of all lives is the most realistic life that can be lived on this earth. We face the pain. We face the suffering. But we know something else, that underneath it and outlasting it is a happiness that caused the hymn writer to say, it is well with my soul. He wrote that after his family went down in a shipwreck. So there is a happiness that grounds us. It's a deep well in our lives. It's not a happiness that is rooted in our circumstances, which are sometimes great, sometimes really bad. But it is, it is a happiness that's rooted in God. In fact, it really is, and this is amazing, it's God's very own happiness that he experiences. He takes that and gives it to us so we can live in that kind of happiness. Even, and, and, and the Holy Spirit says this in another one of his songs, Psalm, 35, Psalm 30, verse 5. He says, Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that word joy is another powerful Hebrew word. It's pronounced rinna. And what it really, what that word was talking about is a shout for joy. So at the end of suffering that comes during the dark days, we can know in God that there is a shout of joy that lies out in front. God can work all things together for good. Now, before this psalmist tells us where to find this happiness of God, he tells us in the rest of this first verse where we will not find it. So let's read that verse and take a look at it. He says, happy is the person who does not. I want you to notice the three verbs in this passage. Happy is the person who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, the Holy Spirit's doing something very unique in those words. You can see that there's a progression in this sentence. In fact, we, actually, it's a regression. It's, he's talking about the way of sin. So let me describe it. He's describing a person who is walking with the wicked, that's the general word for just ignoring God and doing your own thing. And as this person walks down this path, he or she becomes attracted, tempted by the appeal of particular sins and then stops, stands, lingers, and then ends up getting hooked, addicted, and controlled by that particular sin. And then that's, that standing position regresses to the next stage. The person sits down 
with the mockers. Now, this is an interesting word because it was a word that was commonly used for people when they took a seat on the city council in the Old Testament days. Every community had a city council. And so a person takes a seat there. What does a person, on a, what's a councilman do? Well, they try, to, they try to lay out the plans for the community, for everybody else. They're a leader. They become, so what this, what this is saying is that this person has progressed so far into their sin, become so morally desensitized, that they're now sitting with that crowd of people that are advocating and activists for all kinds of sin. They enjoy it, and they're pushing it on everybody else. They want everybody else to enjoy it too and to come their direction. So the Bible does say, and this is the deceptive thing, Hebrews 11.25 says that there is a fleeting pleasure in sin. And we know that to be true, but it's short-lived and it leads to despair. Sin is never, just, never static, but sin is also very deceptive because it also appears to be the progressive thing to do when actually it is the most regressive thing that we can possibly do. It'll take us backwards and it'll take us down. Now, we see this confusion of progressive and regressive working itself out big time in our society right now. For many years, our culture looked outwardly for happiness to materialism prosperity. Now, that outward search for many, many millions of people has now exhausted itself, come up empty. And so our culture has turned the search for happiness inward to try to discover who am I, to try to discover my identity as a person. Who am I? That's the big question our culture is wrestling with right now. And so since that path of looking outside of ourselves has come up empty, well, the logic is that the only place left to discover who we are as a person is to look inside of ourselves. So the door is open to explore things like our sexual identity, our gender identity, and then to come out based upon whatever I discover inside myself. And so if I look inside myself and I see I'm same-sex attracted, or I feel the need to, I'm not comfortable in my body and I want to, I want to be a, a male instead of a female, etc. You know, this fills our headlines every day. And the logic behind it is this. The world's way of reasoning, when you get down that path, it gets skewed, but here it is. If I look inside myself and I see, well, this is who I am inside, then in order for me to be authentic and honest with who I am inside, I need to come out and be that on the outside. And that's the way our culture reasons right now. And you can see that there is a, there is a logic to that. But really, we know what it is. It's another dead end. It's another dead end. Jesus addressed the futility of both the outward and the inward search for happiness. Regarding the outward search, Jesus said this in Luke 12, 1, 15. Life does not consist in, the, in, in an abundance of possessions. We don't find happiness in possessions, in materialism. But then he also said this about the inward search. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, 
murder, adultery, sexual immorality, false testimony, slander. Jesus could have listed every sin in the world. Comes out of the human heart. Why? Because since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, human hearts have been infected with sin. And we are born with this infection. And so the impulses and desires of our hearts cannot be trusted to be the source of our identity. Our hearts are filled with desires that are moving away from God. So looking on the inside or the outside, those are dead ends. They leave us lost and more lost. But there is this insatiable drive we have for happiness, and that's what everybody's seeking. G.K. Chesterton, who was a famous English author, author, late 1800s, early 1900s, and was a major influencer of C.S. Lewis, he made this statement one time. He said that every person who goes into a brothel, that is a, a house of prostitution, looking for happiness, every person that does that, they're really down deep, they're, they're searching for God. And you know, I believe that this is exactly what a person like Dylan Mulvaney is looking for. Dylan Mulvaney, been all over the news lately, the Budweiser commercial, Budweiser tanking, going way down. Dylan, uh, in the body of a man, thought, I'm not comfortable, I need to be a woman. And so he's sort of become the poster person in the whole gender transition movement right now. But what, what's Dylan Mulvaney? What is he looking for deep inside? Well, there's a, there is a built-in longing in all of us to know ourselves, to integrate ourselves, to find wholeness. That's a wonderful thing about human beings. And who put it there? It's a God-given longing for meaning and fulfillment. Now, our society, including Dylan, and this is sad, they're looking in the wrong direction. They're on the wrong road. But what this does mean is that there is in our society right now a deep, deep spiritual vacuum that is getting deeper with every month in which people are searching for themselves but are ripe for the Holy Spirit's message of Psalm number one, which we're going to see points straight to Jesus Christ. And so I want us to take a look at this second verse. If happiness is not found in our own search, outward, inward, then where do we find happiness? The Holy Spirit's going to tell us right here. Verse number two introduces a contrast. But happiness is, is, is discovered by this person, the one whose delight is in the law or the teachings of the Lord, the Scriptures, and the one who meditates on his law, the teachings, the scriptures, day and night. The Hebrew word delight is the Hebrew word for cherishing something you deeply treasure. And it was used several times in the Old Testament of how deeply God cherishes the people of Israel, how deeply God cherishes human beings. And so what this psalmist is saying is this, that we are to nurture in our lives a love for this book that is equal 
to the love that God has for us and to the love that we have for God. Now, that does not mean we take this book and make it an idol. That's a big problem. The Pharisees did that. The Pharisees turned the Bible into an idol. They got way off track with that. But if this book is as the Holy Spirit, if these are the Holy Spirit's words in this book, then, then this is to be cherished because they are the words that come to us from God himself. Now, the word meditate is the word, Hebrew word for thinking deeply, reflecting, to muse upon, to speak to yourself, talk to yourself. It's okay to talk to yourself. Uh, Jill just tells me, uh, if you're talking to yourself, don't do it out loud, okay? She, people might think I'm, you know, losing it or something like that. But anyway, it's not like Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation, you empty your brain in order to become one with the universe. This is the exact opposite. It's filling and saturating your mind with God's thoughts, which is what the Word of God is. You know, uh, the Hebrews, uh, ancient Hebrews, would think of this meditating upon the Word like a cow. And if you're a farmer, you know the phrase chewing the cud. That might be a foreign, a foreign phrase to many people. Chewing the cud is referring to how a cow eats. And so a cow takes a bite of grass, he chews it, chomps on it, gets all the nutrients out of it, swallows it, and this is where it gets a little bit messy. He regurgitates it. Or, okay, it's a regurgitation of what's just been swallowed so that it can be chewed up again. And I don't know how many times they go through that before they finally let the grass go but, uh, where it needs to go. But that's what, that's what we're being called to do with this book is to chew on it. Chew it and get all the nutrients out of it. There's all kinds of advertisements on television about balance of nature and fruits and veggies, all that kind of stuff. Well, they help the body, okay? We need that stuff. I haven't ordered any of them yet. I probably should. But I hear the advertisements about 5,000 times a day. Anyway, but uh, here are the nutrients for an eternal life and a life of joy. It's right here. Now, uh, then we come down to verse number three. One of the most beautiful images in the entire Bible because it says that that person who delights and meditates in the Word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever that person, those persons do, prospers. Now, some scholars think that the Holy Spirit had the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. Remember the tree of life in the Garden of Eden was fed by four rivers that are named in Genesis chapter 2. And so some people think that's what the Holy Spirit's thinking of here in Psalm number 1. And so what he's saying is this, that the life God intended for all human beings to have before sin entered the world and exiled us away from God, he's saying we can tap back into that tree of life even here in this messed up world. And that's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. But how does that happen? Well, why are the words of Scripture so powerful and life-giving? I think the answer is simple. Because this book leads us straight to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. After his resurrection, Jesus said this two times in Luke chapter 24 to his disciples. The first two were those guys walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were totally discouraged because Jesus, their Lord, had just been crucified. 
Their hopes were dashed. So they're walking down the road. I can't get into the whole story. Jesus joins them, and then Jesus has a meal with them. And somewhere in the process of that, Jesus revealed to them who he was. And then this is what he said to them. Don't you understand that the scriptures, what the scriptures said about me? And then beginning with Moses, that is the first five books of the Bible, then with the prophets, and then the Psalms, Jesus showed them how the whole scriptures speak of him. And then after Jesus left, these two guys head back to Jerusalem, but while they're walking, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus opened the scriptures to us? That The word of God is given to set a flame inside of our bones, in our hearts, for Jesus Christ. And then the same day, he appeared to the 11 disciples who were huddling in fear, in despair, in the upper room. And again, Jesus pointed them to the scriptures. And you know, I think it's significant that in his, his first resurrection appearances, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about, it's important. This, th- it's important for you to get into this book. This is what he says to them. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit immediately ignites in that person a desire to know Jesus in deeper and deeper ways, which leads to an awakened desire, an awakened desire for the Word of God. And it's through knowing and understanding the Scriptures, this book that is all about Jesus, that's how we come to understand His will his desire for us. That's how we come to understand how to see ourselves and others and the world, how to deal with our past, how to have hope for the future, and how to see this entire universe like God sees it. And it also leads us to know God deeper and deeper to become more transformed into his own character. That's the word of God. So, the word of God points to Jesus. It's the only place any of us can find our identity because he's the only one who died for our sins and all those desires that want to take us down the path away from God. And so we come to Christ and repent. He enters into our lives. He becomes our deepest love, our deepest affection. And that gives us the power to say no to all of those things that on the path of sin were so attractive to us. How do we break free of those things? By gaining a greater love, a love that surpasses those. And if I love Jesus more than I love the world, and that's what this book nurtures in me, then I have the power to say no to temptation. I have the power to break the bondages and the strongholds. It's through the Word of God. The Word of God the Apostle Paul said, is God-breathed, and it is profitable for every aspect of Christian growth. We need to be in this word. So, let me come back for a moment. I mentioned Dylan Mulvaney a few minutes ago. There's nothing that Dylan needs so much as to meet the Jesus of the Scriptures. And then, as he grows in Christ... Dylan could truly find out who he is and tens of thousands of other people that are 
that are following what seems to be progressive, but is leading them to destruction. Now, you may have a friend, you may have a family member, you may have somebody in school that you know, there might be persons in this room who have struggled with gender issues, with same-sex attraction, very, very possible. Uh, there, okay, let me, there's a, there is a, 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 a source, a resource that could be of great help. You could give it to a friend. Beckett Cook, I don't know if you've heard of Beckett Cook. He for years lived as a homosexual man. Uh, he moved in the circles of Hollywood stars. In fact, if you listen, he, he knows stars in movies that you would recognize. He hung out with them for years and years as he was living his homosexual lifestyle. But then, ultimately, he came to Christ. And Christ changed his life. And so he describes that in a YouTube video that is called um, A New Affection. A New Affection. That would be a great resource if you want to take a look at a real life situation where the power of Christ set a person free, even from this very, very uh, difficult struggle in life. That's the power of Christ, can break all the chains. Where sin abounds, where does grace go? King James Version, grace does much more abound. Sin goes deep, the grace of God, the power of Jesus can go miles deeper than the deepest of sins that hold us in chains and set us free. Power of God's word. So now, here's the question, and I'm going to wrap this up. How do we get into the word of God as the Spirit is calling us to do in this first psalm? It is a big and ancient book. And there have been many a person who's tried to get into this, especially in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, okay, and get stumped. Uh, what do I do now? It reminds me, in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, there was a guy, the guy, Ethiopian eunuch, who had been to Jerusalem for the Passover and for Pentecost. He was riding home to Africa. He couldn't, he was sitting there in, in he had a book, he had the scroll of Isaiah opened up in his chariot as he's riding along. And so the Holy Spirit sent Philip down there from another, took Philip out of a big revival and sent him out to get one person this Ethiopian eunuch who was sitting there puzzled. And Philip walks up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no, not unless somebody helps me. And so Philip jumped up in the chariot and he helped this man begin to get a grip on how to get into the word of God. A lot of us, we all need help, especially when we're new believers, to be able to get into this book and not get discouraged with it because it's the tree, the tree your life being like a tree grows out of knowledge, growing knowledge of this word, getting soaked into your soul, soaked into your heart. So, let me suggest these things. Number one, get a really good study Bible with footnotes in it that can help explain the, the background and the customs and the terms and the language. NIV, NLT. Set a time to read and reflect or listen online. Now, the Bible app 
is a tremendous resource. It's a tremendous resource. It has things in there about how do I study the Bible? How do I get into it? Uh, number three, ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. It's his book. Start in the New Testament and then eventually work your way into the Old Testament. A helpful resource also, the Bible Project, what it does is it thematically in five-minute segments, takes you on a visual journey of the entire Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. And then six, call Pastor Brian <laughs> with your questions, okay? Uh, and get into Bible studies. I forgot to add that one there. Uh, I, uh, now, as I was wrapping this message up in my preparation, I thought, you know what? <laughs> that should be part two to this message uh, because I'm breezing through that. So, if Pastor Brian gives me another opportunity to come back, okay, I'll do part number two on the practical side of this. How do, we, how do we get into this book? I know lots of Christians that have sort of gotten discouraged and, and sort of given up a little bit on their own personal time in the Scriptures. But I think, I think we do that to our detriment. We've got to get into this book. So, Two reasons for our lives to be set on fire for Jesus by the power of his word. Number one, so that our personal lives will flourish in relationship with Jesus. And secondly, that we share the word of Jesus into the spiritual vacuum of our society for those who are searching for meaning and identity. You know, we Pentecostals, we're all about the moving of the Holy Spirit, right? I think... The Holy Spirit moves in our lives in measure with, let's put it this way, the more we get his word, his own thoughts and words into our heart, isn't that going to lead to greater movings of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. So we can never divorce the word of God from the moving of the Spirit of God. The two, they're both his. They, They both go together. Now, the final few verses of this chapter. Let's wrap it up here. Not, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. If you are here this morning, and you've listened to this message, but you have never, or you're not certain if you have ever, come really to know Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you today to come to come to him. To realize that he died on the cross. He took the blame for your sin. He took the judgment for your sin so that you wouldn't have to. If we come sincerely repenting to him and then we invite him to come into our life, literally that's what will happen. Jesus himself will move into your spirit, the deepest part of your being, and you will, in days to come, begin to be aware of his presence and of a whole, a whole new list of new attitudes and new desires and longings will be awakened in your life. And then the other great thing is, it's when we first come to Christ that the first awakenings in that search for our own identity, that's when it begins to come to life. We begin to understand who we are, who God created us to be as a human being. 
So I want to invite you this morning, if you've never done that, if you've never invited Christ into your life, you can do that where you sit today, simply by praying in your heart to him. Something like, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I thank you for it. I repent of my sins. And I invite you to come into my life and be my Savior. If you pray a simple prayer like that, Jesus Christ will come into your life and begin to transform you from the inside out. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Yeah.